the second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, this is God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, It is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. He also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, Not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you, word. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge. And I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end, as also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before that she might have a second benefit, and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God, who hath also sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. So far we read the word of God this morning. And in light of that reading of Scripture, let us turn together to Lord's Day 1, 
and consider the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 1 asks the question, What is thy only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who, with his precious blood, hath fully satisfied for all my sins, and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me, that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head, yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life, and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. How many things are necessary for thee to know that thou, enjoying this comfort, mayest live and die happily? Three. The first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. The third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the subject of this first Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism gets right at the heart of everything. Comfort. Comfort is what everybody is looking for. The search for comfort is what drives the economies and the politics of the nations. Comfort is why young people log into social media and sign up for the latest trends. Comfort is what drives men to go to work every day or to stay home. Comfort is what people are looking for when they crack open a book or when they flip on the television or when they switch on their devices. Comfort is what explains every conversation, every action or inaction, every thought, every wish, every hope, every dream. People, all people, are looking to be comforted. It's because the experience of life in this fallen world is often bewildering and unsettling. We have questions. Who am I? And why is there anything significant to my being here? Why is there so much pain? Pain in my life, perhaps, or pain in the lives of those around me? How can there be so much loneliness when I live in a world that is full of billions of people? Why do I have to die? Everybody who lives for a little while and is given the opportunity to do a little reflection is going to ask questions like these questions. And all of these questions have to do with this search that everybody has for comfort. The problem with human nature, though, is that people look for comfort in the wrong things. They seek comfort in pleasures or distractions. They seek after comfort by trying to get attention from other people or to be popular in the eyes of men. They seek comfort in money. They seek comfort in power, in sex, in alcohol. 
They seek it in things perhaps that are good things in and of themselves, but which become bad things if they are things that we are using to be comforted by them. Things like family, my children, education, healthy habits. And because none of these things, either good or bad, give true and lasting comfort, men have to go on seeking and seeking and seeking after comfort. And that's what life becomes, seeking and seeking and seeking, but never finding comfort. And that's why Lord's Day 1 is so precious. And that's why the Heidelberg Catechism and the gospel that it teaches and applies is so important. It puts an end to this constant cycle of seeking, 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 but never finding comfort because it leads us to the source of true comfort. And that's our God, whom the Bible declares to us this morning as the God of all comfort. I call your attention to this Lord's Day this morning under the theme, Comforted by the God of all comfort. First, we will identify this comfort that comes from God. Secondly, we will notice that this is a comfort for all of life a comfort that holds true and goes to work for us in all the circumstances of life that we may face. And then we'll conclude by pointing out that this is a comfort that is not only for us, but a comfort that we pass on to others so that others can be comforted with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted with. Comforted by the God of all comfort. First, comfort from God. Secondly, comfort for all of life. Third, comfort to pass along. Our God, beloved, is the God of all comfort. That's not just what God does. That is who God is. He is the God of all comfort. Your God, beloved, is not the God of distress. He is not the God of chaos. He is not the God of perplexity or the God of confusion. When you have problems in your life, you're likely to go find somebody who you can talk to about those problems. But it's not going to help you if you go find a person who is just as perplexed and just as confused and just as upset as you are. You need somebody who is stable. You need somebody who is thinking clearly. Somebody who can help you work through your own problems and your own distress. You need someone who himself has comfort so that they can bring comfort to you, and that's God. The God of all comfort is, first of all, the God who himself has comfort. Now, that might seem like a strange thing to say. Was God ever in distress so that he needed somebody to come alongside him and comfort him? And the answer is clearly no. God does not get distressed. He does not get perplexed or troubled by anything since all things that happen happen according to his own sovereign will. Even when God's enemies, creatures who seem very frightening and terrifying to us like the devil and the wicked men of this world, even when God's enemies shake their fist at God and plan and counsel and plot against him, God just sits in the heavens and he laughs. They can't touch him. They can't hurt him. 
Now, when I say that God is the God who has comfort, what I mean is God is a God who is stable. He is a God who is at rest. There is nothing that perturbs him. There is nothing and there can be nothing that would ever upset him or put him in distress. Even the horrible things that happen in this world all happen according to his sovereign and eternal will. Now, many of us have a person in our lives who seems to us like nothing can ever shake this person. Maybe it's your dad. Or maybe it's your grandmother. Or maybe it's a former teacher or a pastor or somebody who you look up to in the church as a mentor and as an example. You see problems in your own life. You see troubles all around you and it unsettles you and it makes you afraid and you look around for somebody to comfort you and then you go talk to this person and it seems like they're almost jovial. They're not moved. They're not perturbed. And you think, how can they be that way? How can they be so unmovable? And the answer is, it's because they have comfort. They have a source of strength that maybe you don't see, but they're drawing from it. They're drawing from that source of strength, and now they're able to pass that on to you. Well, that's like God. God has comfort. He has strength, stability, rest. Except your dad or your grandmother, they have to draw strength or comfort from something else. Maybe they have somebody that you don't know about, that they talk to, that they rely upon. And ultimately, if they have true comfort, it means that they are in a relationship with God and they are drawing their comfort from Him. But God, He has a source of strength that comes from within. He has a source of strength that comes from who and what He is. He's God. Even if the whole world would dissolve around Him and everything would go dark, God would not be moved. He has rest, strength, comfort that comes from within. And that is why God is the source of all comfort for His people, the God of all comfort who is like a fountain of comfort to all of His people who call upon Him. I think when we hear that word comfort, we tend to think of it in negative terms. Comfort is what we need when we are feeling down. Comfort is what we seek after when we are in trouble. Comfort is what we want when we are feeling anxious. And comfort is all of those things, of course. We need comfort when we are in trouble. But comfort is more than that. There's a positive side to it. Comfort isn't just help in times of distress and trouble. What comfort really is, is strength. Comfort is strength. Strength that comes from knowing that all is well with me and all will continue to be well with me. Let's break that down a little bit more. Comfort is strength. In fact, if you look at the English word comfort... Maybe you know a little bit of Latin. In that English word, comfort, is the word fortis, which is the Latin word for strength. Comfort is strength. So when someone is distressed or troubled, what we're really saying is this person is feeling weak. 
They have a weakness. Maybe it's not a physical weakness. Maybe it's a psychological weakness or a spiritual weakness, but they're feeling weak. The pressures of life have beaten them down so that they feel overwhelmed. They have anxiety, and this anxiety keeps them from carrying out their everyday tasks. Comfort is when that feeling of anxiety or of being overwhelmed is given some relief. Comfort is when those pressures of life can be faced again, when those everyday tasks can be carried out once again. Comfort is strength. But it's not just any kind of strength. Comfort is not physical strength. Comfort is not mere mental toughness so that I can press on and do these tasks even though I'm facing difficulties and challenges. There can be people and are people who are physically strong and mentally tough who lack comfort. Sometimes, in fact, the very pursuit of physical strength or mental toughness is a symptom that this person lacks comfort and so they have to go on trying to be strong. I need to be stronger. I need to be more tough so that I can handle these things in my life. And that can actually become a kind of cycle that leads into paranoia or leads into self-absorption because you can never be strong enough. You can never be tough enough. Now, the comfort that the Lord's Day is talking about, the, the strength that it's talking about, is strength that comes from knowledge. Specifically, it comes from the knowledge that all is well with me That's the objective truth. All is well with me and all will continue to be well with me on and on and on into the future. So I don't have to be strong enough physically or mentally. It is well with me and it will continue to be well with me even if I can only lift 10 pounds. It is well with me and it will continue to be well with me even if I have a personality that is prone to be anxious It is well with me, and it will continue to be well with me, even if I lack control over the circumstances of my life. And I know that this is true, because I know my God, and He is the God of all comfort. My strength does not come from me. It does not come from inside me. It does not come from other people around me. It does not come from any objects in this life. My strength comes from God, who is the God of all comfort. Well, that sounds good to say. My strength comes from God. What does that actually mean? In other words, what is it that God does specifically that gives me this knowledge that all will be well with me and will continue to be well with me so that I can have that comfort and the strength of that comfort? Well, that's what the Lord's Day breaks down for us in the first question and answer. There are a number of things that God does to comfort us. Concrete, objective things that the Scriptures tell us of, but that God does for all of His people. First of all, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, He fully satisfies for all my sins. Now, right, right away there, when it speaks about our sins being satisfied with the precious blood of Christ, we're given a clue 
as to what our need for comfort really is all about. We think that we need comfort because life is hard. We think that we need comfort because we face challenges in life. Maybe a loved one passes away. We're going to face our own death one day. We think that we need comfort because of these circumstances. And it's true, we do need comfort because of those things. But what the catechism is indicating here, and what it's going to expand on in the next Lord's Day, is that all these other things, the hard experiences of life, the pain and the suffering, are really only symptoms of a deeper problem. And the deeper problem is not the physical pain or the suffering or the anxiety or the difficult relationships or even the fact that I'm going to die one day. But the deeper problem is sin. The deeper problem is that I stand before God as guilty, a guilty sinner. I have fallen short of the glory of God. And because I have fallen short of the glory of God, fallen short of the standards of His law, there's judgment coming. There is hell to pay, literally, in order to satisfy the righteous demands of God's justice. That's a problem. Guilt is a problem. And if that problem is attached to me, I can't have any comfort, but my comfort is that I don't have to make that payment myself. There is another who has made the payment in my place by shedding his precious blood so that my blood doesn't have to be shed. God is the God of all comfort because as the apostle says, he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the father of mercies. Mercy! He's a just and righteous God, but He's a merciful God who did not hold back even from giving His own dear and precious Son to the death of the cross so that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's comfort. And then the Lord's Day goes on. Not only are my sins fully satisfied by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, but he has also delivered me from all the power of the devil. Now, these are familiar words. We hear them all of the time. But, beloved, think about what that means. What that's saying is, you and I were under the power of the devil. We were. That sneaking serpent who came into God's paradise and told the first lie and murdered the human race In the beginning, that fallen angel who cares about nobody, nobody except himself, who is so self-absorbed that he would rather destroy the world and everything in it than simply be what God created him to be, which is a ministering spirit. You and I belonged to him. We were his property. But now we don't. His power over you is broken. He can kick and scream at you. He can accuse you. He can roar at you. He can wave the lures of his temptations before you to try to get you to stumble. But he does not own you. And he cannot take you with him where he is going, which is into the lake of fire. 
you are delivered from him, delivered from him by the power of the same precious blood by which your sins were satisfied before the tribunal of God. And then the Lord's Day says, he preserves me. He so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. That's one of our great fears, isn't it? Fear of the future. Oh, I feel fine now. I feel strong now. But what about tomorrow? What if the devil is, devil is able to, to get me in the end? What if one of those temptations ultimately I fall to and I'm taken back under his power? Or what if I commit some sin that is so awful that, that in the end the precious blood of Christ even can't atone for it? The Lord's Day says that's never going to happen. Every factor in your life is under God's control. Even the hairs on your head, every one of them is numbered. Not one of them can fall to the ground except your heavenly Father knows it. Nothing can stand in your way that would prevent you from entering ultimately into life and glory. In fact, everything that does happen in your life, from the good things to the bad things, are all carrying you along, ushering you along your way to glory itself. And therefore, he also assures me of eternal life by his Spirit. That assurance isn't just an effect of those other things. Of course, if we know that our guilt is covered through the blood of Christ, and if we know that we are delivered from the power of the devil, and if we know objectively that God is going to preserve us, we're going to have assurance but there's an active sense in which God assures us by sending His Spirit to live in us so that right here at the level of our soul, at the level of our heart, He assures us from the inside. He walks with us. That's, that's the biblical word for comfort. The biblical word for comfort points to, to two people walking side by side, one leaning on the other. And that's the Holy Spirit. He's the comforter who walks with us because He is in us. Because of all of these benefits, the payment of our guilt, the deliverance from the power of the devil, the preservation and the assurance, He also makes me sincerely willing henceforth and forever to live unto Him. In other words, I have something to live for now. There is meaning in my life. There is purpose in my life. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's why I have been created and that's why now I have been recreated. And that's comforting. It all comes from God who is the God of all comfort. And this comfort that He provides is a comfort for all of life. It is a comfort that is there for us in all of the circumstances of life. You see, for comfort truly to be comfort, it must be comfort for all of life. It can't only be a comfort that helps in this area, but doesn't say anything about this area over here. It has to comfort the whole person. And that's what this comfort does. For comfort to be a true comfort, it must be a comfort for the soul. Your soul is that part of you that is mostly affected 
by distress and suffering. Remember what Jesus said. He said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but who cannot hurt your soul. Be afraid rather of him who can kill the body, and after he has killed the body, can cast body and soul into hell. Your soul is where you experience fear and shame. Your soul is where sin originates before you ever lift a finger, before you ever say a word. Your soul really is you. It's where all of your emotions happen. It's where all of your wishes and your thoughts and your dreams arise out of. And your soul needs to be comforted. If the thing you are turning to for comfort does not allow you to say, it is well with my soul, then it's not a true source of comfort. It's a counterfeit. It's a lie. That's the problem with so many of the things that people turn to in the search for comfort. The thing that they are turning to in the search for comfort they think is going to give them comfort. They think is going to make them strong so they can face life. But it's not offering comfort for their soul. You might get some nice feelings of approval and of belonging when people follow your social media account and click like on the things that you say. But if that is your source of comfort, it's only going to open up this hunger, this insatiable hunger for more approval, more likes, a deeper sense of belonging. Only God can provide the approval, the acceptance, the belonging that actually puts your soul at rest and gives it comfort. Augustine said our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee. Comfort that is true comfort must be comfort for the soul. But comfort that is only comfort for the soul isn't enough. There's more. It must be comfort for the body too. Though your soul is the part of you that is most deeply affected by suffering, suffering is also experienced in the body. Physical illness, pain, and trauma are obvious examples of suffering that we experience in the body. But even that suffering that we think of primarily as mental or psychological has a bodily component to it. Stress. What is stress? Stress is the physical component of all of these pressures and spiritual battles taking their toll on your body and it builds up over time. And though sin is something that arises out of the soul, ultimately it's the body that performs it. The soul may think up that evil thought of envy, but it's the tongue that speaks the hurtful word. It's the hand that does the striking. The truth is, we are not just souls. We are souls that exist in a bodily form. And when God created man in the beginning, he created man, body and soul together. So your body needs to be comforted. If your comfort is only that one day your body will die, 
and your soul will be set free from your body and will fly up to heaven, then you have a lot in common with the philosopher Plato. But less in common with the Apostle Paul. What comforted Paul was not just that he would die and become a soul that would go to heaven never to be reunited again with his body, which is evil. No, the comfort of Paul is that his body is a good thing. It's a good creation of God. And that one day God is going to raise him body and soul from the dead. God, the God in whom he trusted, is the God who raises the dead. That is, raises the dead bodies of believers and reunites them with their souls. Comfort, to be true comfort, must be comfort in the body and the soul. But there's more. For comfort to be true comfort, it must be a comfort when I am alive. That's what the Lord's Day means when it speaks of comfort in life. What is thy only comfort in life? It's talking about this life, this present life that we are living in and experiencing right now. It means that life that begins with the pain and travail of my mother as she gives birth to me. It means that life in which I experience disappointments and failures. It means that life in which I grow old and I begin to lose the physical strength that I used to enjoy. It means that life which one of our liturgical forms describes as nothing but a continual death. We need to be comforted in life. Which means we need a comfort that's going to go to work for us. It's not just nice ideas. It's not just a distraction or a way of escaping temporarily from the pains of this life. But it actually gets us through. It helps us to make sense of the painful things that happen to us. And enables us to be thankful for the good things that happen to us. It's comfort that will still be there for us even when we are not so conscious of it. But then when we are conscious of it, it's a comfort that fills us with a sense that all is well, both in the world and with my own experience of it because I have my God. It must be comfort, body and soul and in life. But there's still more. For comfort to be true comfort It must be a comfort that enables me to walk through the valley of the shadow of death itself. And that is the ultimate test, isn't it? Every man, every woman, every young person, every child is going to die. Beloved, Unless you are one of those few individuals whom the Apostle speaks of who will still be alive at the time that Jesus comes again, you're going to die someday. Young man, young woman, you have your whole life ahead of you with all of its possibilities and all of the excitement of the roads that you're going to go down 
You have so many experiences waiting for you. But know thou, for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. That's the words of the preacher, Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9. Do you have a comfort that holds up in the face of death? Will you be like so many in the world around us today who end up on their deathbeds only terrified and bitter Terrified because they know that they are about to fall into the hands of the living God whom they have defied during all of the course of their life on this earth and bitter because they will no longer have any time to indulge in all of those pleasures and distractions and things of this earth that were their source of comfort in this life. Will you be like them? Or will you have comfort that enables you to live and to die happily. Part of the beauty of the chapter we read is that Paul gives us his own life as a kind of test case that demonstrates that the comfort that we have from the Scriptures, the comfort that is the comfort of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the Heidelberg Catechism is telling us about, that that is a a comfort that goes to work in all of life. It is a comfort that is tried and tested even in the bitterest and most challenging circumstances of life that a man can face. Paul. Paul is a man who suffered. He suffered in his body. If you read the rest of the book of 2 Corinthians, you'll find later on that he elaborates at some length about the kinds of suffering that he experienced in the body. Five times he was beaten with 39 stripes. He was stoned and left for dead. Multiple times he was shipwrecked. He was always on a journey. And on those journeys, he was threatened. Threatened with robbery. Threatened with murder. Threatened by the elements. Paul suffered in the body. He suffered in his soul. People wanted to kill him. They were hunting him down from place to place, not giving him any rest, trying to catch him. He was rejected everywhere he went. He went to the synagogues, preached the gospel. They kicked him out. What does all that rejection do to a man's soul? And then there was his past. Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, the one who persecuted the church. And it wasn't just persecuting the church, which involved arresting and leading off to their deaths innocent individuals, but it was persecuting Jesus Christ. I'm the chief of all sinners, he said, less than the least of all saints, not even worthy to be called an apostle. He suffered in his soul. He suffered in life. Just consider what stands behind these words in verse 8. We would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, 
that we were pressed out of measure. Pressed out of measure like a great, huge weight is on Paul's shoulders, crushing him down as he's trying to carry out his labors as as an apostle. Pressed beyond measure, above strength, in so much that we despaired even of life. Those are the words of a man who's about to give up. Despair. It's what you feel when you can't do it anymore. That was Paul. He suffered in life. And he suffered in death. He says... In verse 9, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Ultimately, he did not die at this time in Asia, but he died later in Rome, as tradition would have it by decapitation at the order of Nero. Yet Paul's point in this chapter is not that he suffered. His point is that even though he suffered, he had and he has comfort In the face of death, Paul has the comfort of the resurrection from the dead. In the face of a life full of bitter challenges that press him beyond strength, Paul has access to the grace of God. In his body, which is full of the marks and scars of his persecution, Paul has the comfort that these sufferings connect him to Jesus Christ so that he can say that the sufferings of Christ abound in him, in his soul. Paul can say, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. And beloved, if this comfort was able to work that way for Paul, it will work that way for you as well. It can, it does, and it will. It's not just nice ideas. It's not just a band-aid on a gaping wound. It's real comfort for all of life. Comfort that has been designed by God to enable his people to be strong and to face life with its challenges and even to die happily. What a contrast it often is. The child of God is called out of this life. And unlike the terrified and bitter soul who does not have this comfort, he looks forward to it. There's a smile on his face or her face. I'm going to meet my Lord. What a marvelous comfort is our comfort, beloved. And it's a comfort that's worth passing on to others. It's part of the remarkable thing about what Paul writes concerning the purpose of his comfort. Isn't it striking how even with something so central and important as comfort, we can be so quick to make it all about ourselves? It's all about me getting the comfort that I need. And then that becomes the lens that we use to evaluate everything in our spiritual life. Becomes the lens that we use to evaluate the content of sermons and articles that we read. Is he comforting me? Is it feeding me? 
And oh, if the preacher makes a point about something that we must do or a calling that we must pursue or challenges us, then we get upset because he's taking away my comfort. There have been people like that in the churches, beloved, and to some extent, that's the way that we all are. That's human nature. We want to be comforted, but we don't want to be challenged necessarily. But Paul doesn't see it that way. Even this amazing gift of comfort that God has given to him in his free grace, Paul does not make all about himself. This is why God has comforted me in my affliction, he says, so that I can comfort you. Verse 4, He comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You see, comfort is a gift that God gives to us. And just like all the gifts that God gives to his people, it's a gift that we now give to others. Well, how does that work? Well, it starts with what the Heidelberg Catechism is doing here. Lord's Day 1 is the introduction And then in the next 51 Lord's Days, it's going to explain to us the content of our faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we work through these Lord's Days together and the biblical principles they represent, we need to realize what's going on. What's going on as we work through the articles of our faith is that God is comforting us. He's revealing to us His Son, Jesus Christ, in all of His glory. He's showing us who his son is, what his son has done, how we relate to his son and why it matters. And it's all for our comfort. And now, you can take that knowledge that is given to you, that you believe, and that that comforts you, and you can speak it. Because it has Clear, objective content that can be communicated. You can speak it. You can speak it to your neighbor. A neighbor, perhaps, who has never heard the gospel and is busy looking for comfort in all of the wrong things. You can speak it to your children who need to be led to their Savior. You can speak it to a brother or a sister in the church who is struggling and who needs a a shoulder to lean on. You have the tools for comforting others. It's all right here in the catechism and in the scriptures. But then do what Paul did. Maybe you've never been stoned or beaten with rods. But every child of God knows what it means to suffer. And then to find comfort in the gospel. So speak not just knowledge, but speak out of your experience. Testify. Let your neighbor, let your children, let your brother or sister in the church know what God has done for you, how he has comforted you. And then comfort one another. You see, comfort is an amazing gift that God gives to us, but it's not just for us. It's a gift that we now give to others. What a comfort we have, beloved. What a God we have. God to worship, to serve, to
to believe in, to find our comfort in Him and in nothing else. May that be the case for us. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank Thee for this comfort that we have. And we pray that receiving that comfort by faith in Jesus Christ, that we may also give that comfort to one another, testifying out of our own experience how these gospel principles have worked through in our lives. And in that way, O oh Father, may we be the body of Christ, the communion of saints that lives through this comfort that, that works through all of our lives. Send us away from thy house this morning with thy blessing upon us. And hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.